Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. This week, Pastor Matt Dean concludes our series, Joyful Generosity. I want to welcome you to this church. I'm so grateful that we get to gather here. And we are in week two of a series called Joyful Generosity, and uh, we're looking at what does it look like to leverage our whole lives in light of the gospel. Last week, I looked at the Old Testament and really tried to establish that, that giving and tithing is not generous, that giving and tithing is an act of obedience. And last week, we talked about, in light of the Old Testament, we see that God has established, even before the law, this pattern that people take their first and best and offer it back to God. And I want you to know I was so encouraged last week by your feedback of saying, thank you for helping me see God's intention for generosity. This isn't a law thing. This is not performance-based acceptance for God kind of thing. This is an invitation to give first things first, to say with our lives, I'm declaring you are God, as he declares over us, you are my treasured people. And last week we looked at the Old Testament. You're welcome to go back and look at that again. But the idea that giving God our first and best frees our hearts to experience him. And in every area of our life, as we walk in obedience, we experience the presence of God. What do I want for you? I want for you to experience the presence and power of God as you walk in obedience to him. What do you want for me? You want me to experience the presence of God as I walk in obedience with him. And what happens when we don't walk in obedience to him? We fail to experience the presence and the power of God. And so today, this is about us saying, God, I want to know you. I want to declare with my life, all of my life, you are my Lord. You are my Lord. As we stand in the gospel confidence that he has made a way for us to forever be his treasured possession by grace through faith in what Jesus has done. And so this morning, we're going to look at the New Testament. And in light of that, I just want you to ask the question, what does it look like for you to bring your first and best to God? And giving is not the same thing as tithing. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were instructed to have several tithes. In fact, as we looked at the Old Testament, the Israelites tithed 23% of their income. But the reality is for us to tithe to God, for us to bring our first and best to him, Jesus never negates tithing. He never negates bringing our first and best to him. In fact, you're going to see today that Jesus not only reaffirms the idea of tithing, but he invites people in because he pokes at the interest of the heart. He reveals the matter of heart, and he says quite clearly that you cannot serve both God and money. And he speaks in several situations where we see that it is difficult to hang tightly to money and cling openly to God. And he begins to address that as we see. The bottom line is that tithing is a grace-enabled act of obedience. It's good for us because it allows us to say, by grace through faith, I am declaring you are my Lord. It's part of the way that we declare he is our God. So if you've got your Bible today, we're going to be in a lot of passages, but if you can turn to chapter 11 of Luke, that's where we're going to start today. If you would like these notes, I'm a, I can make these available to you as well, but we have several passages of Scripture, um, but we're going to begin in Luke chapter 11, verse 37. Because of how much we have to go through, I'm going to move quickly through these, but I want you to see 
the whole counsel of God's word, that the idea of joyful generosity is throughout Old and New Testament so that you, for your own joy, can be encouraged as we think about this. We're beginning in Luke chapter 11, verse 37. This is what it says. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, and so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Jesus is speaking, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. You ought to have done these things you ought to have done. So here's Jesus saying, yes, you are to tithe, but you've totally missed the point. Here in this passage, he does not negate tithing, but he says, even in your tithing, there's been this exterior obedience, which is possible for us even as Christ followers today. We can give in a way that's formulaic and detached from our hearts. And we can give in a way that looks like exterior righteousness, exterior acts of obedience, but if our heart is detached from it, we've, we've missed it. It's both in. We are, we are to give, but we are to give from our heart cheerfully and gladly. And Jesus says, you've, you've ought to do these things without neglecting the other. So as we give, we should not neglect justice and we should not neglect the love of God. Jesus says, woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. What is the warning in this passage of Scripture. The warning is that even in giving, it's possible to become detached from the love of God. Ask yourself this morning, do you have joy in giving? Do you have joy in giving? When you give, do you have joy in your heart? Or is this one of these gentle reminders by God to say, come back to me, and as you give, don't neglect your love for me? Let's look over in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. This is the parable of the rich fool. And this is what it says. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, this is Jesus speaking, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care. These are the words of Jesus. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, the night, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Here we see a scenario where someone has thoroughly prepared for themselves but failed to be rich towards God. I want you to ask yourself the question, am I rich towards God? Am I rich towards God? Is there something in my heart that says, God, I want to be rich towards you. I want to be generous towards you. God. And the more we understand the gospel, the more we desire to be rich towards him. 
Flip over to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. This is the story of the rich ruler. We're going to begin in Luke 18, 18. And a ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Again, he had exterior righteousness, like that of a Pharisee. But he says, Jesus speaks him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when this rich young ruler heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Ask yourself the question, God, help me be rich towards you. Are you rich towards God? I want you just to think about this. Turn over in Luke chapter 19. This to me illustrates not only the power of what Jesus can do, but what happens and what needs to happen in all of our lives. It's a heart issue. It's a heart change. This is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Let's look at Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. I know in your mind you're thinking, and a wee little man. But you can sing that in the lobby afterwards, but if you sing it now, I'll be distracted, okay? He entered, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. You're singing in your mind. I know. I can hear it. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. Isn't that a great... Should we sing it together? You know, I... I, Before he's going for the next... He was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked at it and said, Zacchaeus, I'm still singing it in my mind, you come down. Um, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What do we see in this story? When someone encounters Jesus, their lives are different. Period. It's like the story that I shared with you at the very beginning. When someone encounters Jesus, life is different. And if you have encountered Jesus, your life in time looks different. But sometimes it immediately looks different, like in the story of Zacchaeus. He was very wealthy, but upon seeing Jesus, he distributed and paid back everything that made him rich. What does that say to us? That says that somehow Jesus knows the state of our hearts, 
And for our own joy, he understands what it means for us to be free and generous so that we are not kept and claimed by possessions. That our possessions can, in fact, very much possess us. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. We're going in order through the New Testament, but I want you to see in Acts chapter 4. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Acts chapter 4, beginning in 31. Now, believers are happening. New believers are going, growing, growing. The church is growing. And we see in the context, in verse 31, it says, When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. These are new believers mixing with relatively new believers, experiencing the power and presence of God, and they are speaking the word of God with boldness. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. I just want to pause for a moment. These new Christians were gathered together in such close relationship that the gospel was the thing that unified them. But bear in mind, this was a cross-cultural movement of the Holy Spirit. There were lots of believers from lots of backgrounds and lots of languages all bound together by the gospel. It's a glimpse of the kingdom that is coming. It's a glimpse of the better kingdom that we belong to. And he says this in verse 33, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And I love this next line. And great grace was upon them all. God, let it be true of us. Great, weighty, profound grace be on all of us that we would joyfully be generous. Verse 34, and there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Here's the bottom line. Seeing God at work results in generosity. Seeing God at work results in generosity. That's what happens when God moves. People respond. And seeing God at work results in generosity. Look in Acts chapter 20. Keep going. We're, we're going to work our way through this. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 35. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. And it's a really sweet moment of ministry of Paul and these believers that were helping give leadership to the church. I encourage you to go and read it because the whole story is powerful. And these men and women, they were um, preparing for Paul to depart. And as Paul is with them, he says in verse 35, in all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What do we see? We see that generous people are blessed and experience joy and giving. I know the joy. I know many of you know the joy in giving. We know the joy in giving because we know what we have been given. We know the joy of giving because we know what we've been given. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is a powerful story. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're just moving towards the back of the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, I want you to go back just in your mind for a second. In the last passage, we, we see that great grace was upon these believers. Look at the same line. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. There's 
power in grace. There's power in relishing and savoring what grace does. Grace produces generosity. And as they're writing back, as Luke was, or Paul was writing back to what was happening, this is what he was remarking, that there has been a great grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Verse 2, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So they are suffering, they are afflicted, they are poor, they are generous. Let me say that again. They are suffering, they are afflicted, they are poor, and they are generous. How is that possible? It's the grace of God. Verse 3, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, but they also gave beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God they gave themselves to us. It goes back to the words of Jesus being rich towards God. And it says these poor, suffering, afflicted believers gave themselves first to God and then to the church. They gave themselves first to God and then to the church. Verse 6, I love this. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he has stated, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Verse 7, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. The words to the early church. It's great. It is great that you have faith, that you have speech, that you have knowledge, that you have earnestness, and that you have love. But see to it that you excel in giving. There's instruction in this letter. And he was saying, Titus, see to it that not only do you excel in all those other things, but see to it that you excel in this act of grace, this act of giving also. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, just a page over, beginning in verse 6. This is in reference to the collection for Christians in Jerusalem, and this is what Paul says. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that, having all sufficiency in all things, at all times you may abound in every good work. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, may abound in every good work. I just want to give you some encouragement this morning, especially for those of you where the thought of giving is stressful or painful, where the thought of joyful generosity makes your anxiety go through the roof. Just go back to this. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, including giving. And if you are fearful about giving, Bring that to your heavenly Father and ask him to give you all sufficient grace for every good work, including your giving. And see what happens when you walk with him in generosity. There is greater joy for you 
as you do this. Cheerful giving is evidence of the grace of God in your life. I'll just say that again. Cheerful giving is evidence of the grace of God at work in your life. Look with me in Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four towards uh, verse 10. Paul is speaking back to this church that he loved dearly. In Philippians chapter four, verse 10, Paul is saying, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. And even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Contentment. Humility and gratitude, those things honor and glorify God. We live in a culture where contentment and discontentment is a global marketing strategy. You are bombarded every day, all day, by the thought that you need more and you need better and you need new. But contentment and humility and gratitude is a great starting point in your relationship with God. Finally, let's turn to 1 Timothy. Just keep on moving back. 1 Timothy, this is our last landing point in case you're overwhelmed at the moment. 1 Timothy, we're gonna begin in chapter six. 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse six. Let's look at this together. Now there is great gain with godliness, um, great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and steadfastness and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What does this say? There is one truly great pursuit in life. 
I think it's important to acknowledge that God does generate wealth among believers, that there are wealthy Christian men and women around the world that steward those resources for the kingdom of God. This church is here out of the stewardship of many people who, because of their wealth and wisdom, have practiced generosity. We would not be here, I would not be here, if it was not for the joyful generosity and wisdom of wealthy Christ followers who have stewarded their resources. And my word to those who are wealthy is just make sure that your wisdom matches your wealth, that your love for God is always higher than your love for what you have. And do not let your possessions possess you, but in fact be possessed by God who gives you wisdom to steward your resources. The truth is we live in North America and the likelihood of us being in the top percentage of wealth is true for almost all of us. We are all wealthy according to global economics. And therefore, all of us need to make sure that the wealth that we have been entrusted is balanced by the wisdom of God's giving principles and that our love for him is always greater than our love for it. For all of us, the way out of loving money more than loving God is to practice generosity because it loosens the grip of materialism in our lives. It loosens the grip of materialism in my life. When I give every pay period, it loosens the grip of materialism in my life. And it's a transference of saying, my giving in your kingdom is better than my money in this checking account. That's what it means. It's saying, I am trusting that in your hands, this is of greater worth than it is in my Bank of America account. And in sowing, I'm saying, I am saying to you, you are my Lord. You are my God. As you have declared over me that you are, that I am your son, that I belong to you. The final verse is this. 1 Timothy 6, look at um, chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich... In this present age, charge them not to be haughty. That's a great word. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but to set their hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Look at these next lines. Those who are rich are to do good and to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share thus in doing good and being rich in good works and being generous and being ready to share. They are storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Look at that last line. In being generous and being ready to share and doing good and being rich in good works, it lays the foundation of a life that says I'm taking hold of that which is truly life. That's where we end this morning. You'll know what to do when you take hold of that which is truly life. You will know how to give when you consider the gospel and God's grace to you. You will have greater joy when you take these things to heart and when you look at the whole counsel of God's word. I don't want anyone to feel 
compelled or under compulsion this morning. I want all of us, all of us as Christ followers to be drawn into the greater story of God's ever expanding kingdom on earth. And I want you to have the confidence that as you invest in the kingdom of God, you are laying up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And you are saying, I am taking hold of that which is truly life. You are taking hold of Jesus for he truly is life. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about Grace Auburn Church online at graceauburn.church.